Hey, thanks for listening to Tell Me Something I Don't Know. We're actually taping new episodes this week and next in New York City. So right now, you should go to tmsidk.com and get yourself some tickets. If you miss these tapings, we're always taping more. We're also going to Boston and Washington, D.C. in the near future. So for all the information and all the tickets and all the fun, go to tmsidk.com. Thanks. Why do I read? Why do I have conversations? Why do I travel? Why do I have to go to school? Why do I pay attention? Why do I pay attention? Because I want to be amused. Because I want to get outside my comfort zone. But mostly. 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 Mostly because. Because I want to find find out out stuff. Find out stuff. Find out stuff. (laughs) Because I want you to tell Tell me me something something I I don't know. For instance, that one lady, Frida Kaplan, introduced all of America to a whole bunch of weird fruit. So I got to tell you about David Letterman. For over 30 years, our next guest has been in the produce business and has earned the nickname the Queen of the Kiwi. My mom, Frida Kaplan, started our company, and she's probably best known as the person who single-handedly introduced the kiwi fruit to America. Please welcome Frida Kaplan and her produce. Frida? But in addition to the kiwi fruit, my mom introduced passion fruit to America back in 1962. Most people think that, um, you know, maybe it's an aphrodisiac or something like that. Turn off the cameras then and let's go to work. But the truth is that passion comes from the passion flowers. It refers to the passion of Jesus in Christian theology. So at one point during the show... This is passion fruit. Let's see if it turns you on. And again, my mom has a cut open passion fruit, and the mouthfeel of the passion fruit is kind of, I wouldn't say slimy, but it's gooey. Kind of like a runny egg. And she's spoon-feeding David Letterman. Okay, let's see how you come out with this. Mm-hmm. Ooh. <laughs> it is passion fruit magic. Welcome to Tell Me Something I Don't Know. I'm Stephen Dubner, and that was Karen Kaplan. The whole Kaplan family has a passion for fruit, especially passion fruit. Thanks to them for helping us introduce the theme of tonight's episode, Passion Plays. Something I Don't Know is a new kind of game show. It's the opposite of a trivia game. Rather than forcing contestants to guess some random fact, we invite contestants to tell us some random fact, to tell us their IDKs, their I Don't Knows. And if everything goes according to plan, we'll all be a little bit smarter by the time we're through. To judge these IDKs and eventually to pick a winner, we've assembled a panel of bright and distinguished people. Would you please welcome tonight's panelists, the comedian Keisha Zoller, the author of Grit, Angela Duckworth, and former White House chief economist Austin Goolsby. All right. Hello, good people. Uh, Austin Goolsby, here's what we do know about you. You are a professor of economics at the University of Chicago. 
You taught class on your wedding day in a tuxedo, so devoted family man, plainly. Um, we know you are a longtime advisor to Barack Obama, including a stint as chief White House economist. We know you are regarded as the funniest economist in the world, which frankly is saying like nothing, right? <laughs> Uh, but Professor Goolsby, keeping in mind tonight's theme is passion plays. Tell us something we don't know about Austin Goolsby. Passion play. Okay, well, that woman that I married on that same day, from the first date that we had, we went to the movies. I kept the movie stub to that movie and to every other movie that we have ever attended. And when I proposed to Robin... I took all the movie stubs up to that point. I put them in this frame, and I gave it to her. And she told her friend, Becca, and said, can, can you believe this? He kept all these. How, do, how did he do this? What does it mean? And her friend was like, wow, he must have known from the first day that you were his girl. Or he's a psychotic killer, yeah. and now you're marrying him. <laughs> I have to say, that's what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> Nice story, Austin Goolsby, great. Uh, Angela Duckworth, we are so pleased to have you here. We know that you are a psychology professor at Penn and author of the big best-selling book, Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. We know that you won a MacArthur Genius Grant. We know you are also the founder and scientific director of the Character Lab. So, Angela Duckworth, tell us something we don't yet know about you, please. I was a summer intern in the White House speech writing, the same summer that some other interns got into trouble. (laughs) Uh, An intern with a blue dress that got into trouble, presumably. I'm not saying any more than that. All right. Our final panelist tonight, the comedian and actress Keisha Zoller. Keisha, we know that you host the podcasts Applying It Liberally and the Soul Glow podcast. We know that you're appearing in the HBO series Divorce. We know you teach improv you should tell us something we don't know about you. Uh, I don't have a colon. I didn't lose it. I had it removed when I was 17. And after about 10 hours of surgery, I woke up to my father over my bed in tears saying, Princess Diana's dead. And that, <laughs> and that was the moment I knew I would be okay. So you have no colon? I have, I, I have a little bit of colon. I can get very technical, but you're not my gastroenterologist. It's like a semicolon. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> All right, so this does fit into the category of things I did not know. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, the more appropriate category would be things I wish I still <laughs> did not know. If <laughs> All right, so tonight's panelists are a colonless comedian, a comedic economist, and a gritty Duckworth. Let's, let's play our game. Panelists, here's how it's going to work. Contestants from the audience will come on stage and try to wow us with their IDK. Once we've heard all the contestants, you are going to vote on a winner. We will be asking you to judge each contestant's IDK on the three following and very scientific criteria. Number one. Does their IDK surprise you? Is it something you truly did not know? Number two, is it worth knowing? And number three, is their IDK demonstrably true? So to help with that demonstrably true part, we need a a real-time human fact checker. So would you please welcome to the stage, Nagin Farsad. (laughs) 
Hi, Nagin. Hello. Nagin is host of the podcast Fake the Nation, author of the book How to Make White People Laugh. Nagin, what makes you think that you are qualified to be a real-time human fact-checker? Um, well, I did a couple of shots of whiskey before coming on the stage, uh, and they call that a truth serum. So I feel like once it kicks in, um, the truth will be known. All right, before we bring up our first contestant, a final word to our panelists. It takes a lot of nerve, a lot of courage for these audience contestants to get on stage. So while you should be firm in your questioning, I also encourage you to be kind, especially because before the night is through, you, the judges, shall be judged when we spin what we like to call the wheel of perpetual agony. It's time to play Tell Me Something I Don't Know. Tonight's theme, you'll recall, is passion plays, the things we love, the things we hate, things that drive us crazy. Would you please welcome to the stage our first contestant, Perry Barber. Hi, hey, Perry. Where are you from? I am born and raised right here in Manhattan. Um, now, Perry, I want you to remember, our panelists are relatively bright people, so the bar is fairly high. So what do you know that's worth knowing that you think they don't know? Well, I know that in my profession, there has never been a woman who has achieved the highest echelon of performance in what I do for a living. So I'm wondering if anybody can guess what that is. Are you the president of the United States by any chance? <laughs> I'm, I'm no, assuming I'm you did not win the dunk contest. That's correct. Okay. Wait, the what contest? The dunk contest. Oh, like basketball. NBA dunk. I, yeah. But you, so many... you are on the right track, however. That makes me like say sporty. Like sporty. Yes, is it a sport? Okay. sport. So are you the best in the world at what you do? I like to think so. Mm. But probably every other person who does what I do thinks the same thing. We sort of have to in our job. And are there any other ladies or are you just like rounding it up? Very few. Very few. Uh, and the ones that had, the very few that have made the attempt have been routinely treated very shabbily by the powers that be up until very recently. All right, Perry, what do you do? Baseball umpiring. Oh. And up until this past January, there had not been a woman umpire in professional baseball at any level for the past 10 years. But very recently, there's been a shift in attitude down at the two schools. Yes, umpires have to go to school to learn what we do. And those schools are where it all starts. So they are the place that has to recruit, train, and promote women. And that's what hasn't been happening the same way it has been for the men. But now they're reaching out and they're understanding that they have to attract women and change the branding of umpiring so that they make it sound like it's actually fun and challenging and interesting, which it really is. I've been doing it for 36 years and I'm not in it for the guilt or the glory. So, but I, I do umpire Major League Spring Training, and I umpire international baseball, and I've had a great career for somebody and who does And how did you get into that? I had always heard that people got into being baseball umpires because they were good at baseball, but not quite 
necessarily right. good They're enough to like make the pros. Yeah, who want to take but out they their want, But they love the game, and so they want to <laughs> stay in it. Is that right. is that how you got into it? No, it wasn't. I came in through a very back back door, which was a friend of mine challenged me to baseball trivia. I'm not a pedigreed college graduate like like all of you. I dropped out of college after about two minutes, and I came back to New York, and I became a singer-songwriter, and I opened shows for Bruce Springsteen and Hall and Oates and okay, now you're Kinky Friedman away. and the Texas Jew Boys. Wow. And then to avoid getting a real job, I went on Jeopardy and won some money and went on a few other quiz shows and won some money there. And a friend challenged me to baseball trivia because he knew I was a Jeopardy champion. So you're just and, another college dropout, yeah. Jeopardy champion, right. singer, songwriter, <laughs> baseball umpire. Yeah. Here's all you are. <laughs> so that's how it all started. Friend challenged me to baseball trivia, and just to educate myself, I, I read some books about baseball. A year later, my mother said, I think you would like umpiring. And I said, are you out of your blank, blank mind? So, what, what is the application process to go to umpiring school? Part of me is like, who writes you a letter of reference? And well, what does that look a lot like? of umpires start where I did, in Little League or youth leagues at their local levels. There are always leagues that are looking for umpires and they provide training. So that would be the place to start and then um, to graduate to doing high school, college. Do they test you? Like, can you say, Yes, there is very rigorous <laughs> testing at the college, Austin, high school. I think you missed your calling there. Level. Yeah. Can, we, can we hear like your strike three call? Um, well, I'm a woman. I have to get in the mood. Can I move over here? <laughs> All right, now I'm watching the pitch come in. The batter's getting set. Here it comes. I go, strike three! Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Woo. Before we finish up with Perry, let's check in with Nagin, our real-time human fact-checker. What do you have to say about this lack of female umpires? So it is, in fact, true that uh, there are no female umpires. I should also note that the United States is way behind on this because Cuba has had a lady umpire at the professional level named Janet Moreno Mendenueta. Uh, so not only is Cuba ahead of us on this, they're also way ahead of us on the number of Che Guevara murals they have per capita. Thank you for pointing that out. Perry, <laughs> thank you so much for playing Tell Me Something I Don't Know. <laughs> Panelists, later you'll be asked to rank all our contestants and pick a winner. For now, let's welcome our next contestant, Baron Lerner. Hey there, Baron. Tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Uh, I'm a professor of medicine and population health at NYU Langone Medical Center. You want to take a look at Keisha's rectum, colon, <laughs> and part of it while we're... I, 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 actually knew, I actually knew that some of her small bowel became colon. It's called a J-pouch. A J-pouch. Yeah, it looks like a J. You can't see it, but trust me. <laughs> Dr. Lerner, I think it's, uh, we should stop talking now, and I think you should start. So what do you have to say? Uh... So I suffer from and treat patients with a little-known condition. And any of you panelists could trigger it right now by doing what? Is it, is it psychological? Uh, not only psychological. Well, when I was a kid, there was a kid in my class who, if he heard anyone sneeze, he would sneeze. It's like yawning, which we all do. But this guy, if you were in another room, was like, ha-choo, ha This guy would sneeze. You'd be like... 
I, I also, uh, I, I have a friend, and she'll, she'll just pass out sometimes if she gets too worked up, and it makes me wonder if it's uh, something like that. I don't remember the name, so I'm going to call it Falling Down. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Lerner, I think you should tell us what this little-known condition is that you suffer from. Okay. It is called misophonia. So misophonia is a newly described syndrome in which certain people are exquisitely sensitive to certain sounds. It's believed to result from a hyperconnectivity of the auditory system and the limbic system, which is the emotional center of the brain. And as I said, I have it, and I often see patients who have it. People with misophonia get exquisitely anxious, distressed, and even furious when they hear certain sounds such as chewing noises, loud yawns, sniffling, and clicking of pens, and there's a whole bunch of other ones. Uh, It's hard for something like misophonia to gain acceptance. For years and years, people came to doctors with extreme fatigue, but it wasn't until 1988 when the CDC named chronic fatigue syndrome that there was legitimacy. Now I think it's misophonia's turn. Misophonia is no joke. There are people who suffer so terribly that marriages have fallen apart and families have to eat in separate rooms. So while science is now legitimizing misophonia, there are still lots of people who think that people with misophonia are merely crazy. We had this rule when our youngest kid, they were required to play an instrument. So if you listen to like six-year-olds playing the violin... We were like, we cannot have that violin in the house. See, what's, what's interesting about this is if it's like someone badly playing a violin, I think it would bother everyone. They, what makes this so interesting is most people don't care about these sounds, but the ones who have it care deeply. And it's those particular sounds, which I guess have a certain frequency that bothers this group of people. Uh, I, uh, as a teacher, I have... Uh, had a number of students and they talk about how like they can't stand to hear their roommates uh, eat and if you live in New York and you have a limitation on how much you'll pay for rent that makes finding a roommate real hard I want to know your sounds but I'm scared to know your sounds yeah I'm so scared we can't do it then you would Uh, the ones that really get me if I'm in a movie theater and someone's eating popcorn behind me with a mouth open terrible Uh, if you have a cold and you have to snort the snot back in every 30 seconds, take a Kleenex and blow your nose, please. Those are two of the bad ones, and and loud yawns. So what if you do those sounds? What if you're eating popcorn or snorting snot? Like, does it bother yourself? No. It's like tickling. Great question. It's just like tickling. You can't tickle yourself. You can't tickle yourself. Yeah, Yeah, it's true. You can't tickle yourself. Is there a treatment that when they come to you, what do you tell them? Do you uh, tell them blow we're, your we're, ears? We're learning more about it. Some of it is uh, what we call cognitive behavioral therapy. So you need to distract yourself. Some people will use white noise, earplugs, things like that, or remove themselves from a situation. Uh, there's some talk, it, it, certain types of people with misophonia have some uh, mental illnesses like OCD, and you might be able to treat those conditions simultaneously and also help the misophonia. Misophonia, the sound and the fury, we'll call it. Nagin, what can you tell us about misophonia? Okay, so I have just discovered this set of highly adorable sounds uh, that is the antidote to misophonia. So we're just going to play that uh, for you here. (laughs) 
cure. My patients will be so happy. <laughs> Dr. Lerner, good luck with your misophonia and your patients. Thank you so much. Would you please welcome our next contestant, Carla Diana. Hello, Carla. Where are you from? What do you do? Hi, I'm from New York City originally, but I live in Philly now. And I'm a faculty member at the University of Pennsylvania. Wait, um, I'm a faculty member also at the University I of Pennsylvania. Know. I'll tell you what I do in a minute. Oh, because it's part of your, uh, your, your charade. Uh, all right, the floor is yours. What's your something that you know that we want to figure out? In a 2009 Georgia Tech study of households, one research participant said this. I can't imagine being without him. He's my baby. What person or thing was this person referring to? A dog. It does seem like a dog, though. When when many years ago, when Poland first got rid of communism, I went. That is such a natural segue. It's going to be a segue. It's going to be a segue. What is this walk? I worked for the summer at the Ministry of Finance, and. They had not very advanced computers. And basically, they were adding the subsidy they got from the government into the profit numbers. And I was like, but that doesn't make sense. You have to take that out. And and the guy at Ministry of Finance says, oh, he is not going to like this. He is going to be really pissed off. He is not going to like it. And I was like, well, tell him we need this. Oh, he's not going to want to do this by tomorrow. And I was like, fine, you need me to go talk to him? I'll go talk to him. He was talking about the computer. Okay, so it was like the whole, the whole thing was about the computer. It was like, he's angry. He had a tough night last night. He's not going to want to do it. So I well, wonder you're a little if warmer. this is... Yeah. I have so, to say, so I thought you were off your rocker for no, the no, first no. Yeah. 20 no, no, minutes no. of your story. But then in the 21st minute, you really brought it home, Austin. Yeah. <laughs> this makes me feel like, all right... Like, what is my baby? I would say my phone. Mm. <laughs> and, I, and I'm thinking, like, ah, oh, phones. They're like the baby I don't have, but I have. I but it's also the baby you throw out every year for a newer baby. Aww. <laughs> Aww. Okay. Which, as a parent of two teenagers, let me say, is a great idea. Yeah, you upgrade. <laughs> All right, plainly, we've had our fun up here. Do you want to tell us what, uh, what that person was talking about? And I guess this will lead to what you actually do as well, yeah? Yes, it was a study of Roomba robot vacuum cleaner owners. <gasps> oh. And she was talking so about her close. Roomba. What, wait, what was the point of the study of Roomba vacuum? What, what grant supported this <laughs> scientific work? Are you trying to tap into that I grant money? I one, yeah. <laughs> well, totally. it has to do with social robotics. So uh, I'm a product designer. I teach in the integrated product design program. And my focus is actually smart objects and robots. And what's interesting to me is that humans are very easily seduced by things that are animated. So we might not care anything about a box, but as soon as we add a little electronic magic, like light, sound, or motion, suddenly we react to it as though it's a pet or a friend or somehow a little bit alive. And to me as a product designer, I care about engaging people's emotions so they feel connected to their product. Um, In other words, I want you to fall in love with your appliances. So when I was leading the interaction effort for a robot vacuum cleaner called the Neato Bot Vac, I thought very hard about the personality of the robot. 
and how it might come to life using electronics. With my team, we looked at the spectrum of emotion that the robot might have from feeling um, pride at successfully cleaning the room to maybe despair at getting stuck under the couch and then hired a composer to create the sounds for those emotional moments. And um, the sounds are something like this. Uh, If it recognizes a person, it could say, hello. And if it's running low on battery, it'll say, "Uh uh-oh. If it's stuck under the couch, it says, oh, no. And then um, when it's done its job and it's going to sleep and says bye-bye. Well, that's the best one. If that thing sounds like it's chewing gum, Baron's going to smash it with a bat. <laughs> how does it recognize you? What's that for, like, the sound? How does, it, how does a little vacuum recognize you? Well, that particular vacuum differs from some of the other models in that it actually has a LIDAR to make a map of the room. So it recognizes when there's a change in the map of the room that exists, and so it knows if something's moving. And since you want us to fall in love with it, are you there during the breakup? I know it's true. It's very sad. Well, I do. I think about the whole trajectory of your life oh, with good. the product, good. and oh, you know, their product. <laughs> also no, when the relationship gets boring, and when people get so attached to your vacuum, are they using it for something other than vacuuming? I know. I was thinking about that. <laughs> no, there are other I didn't things. Mean that. Um, no. I mean. It- <laughs> I'm not there, so maybe I don't know. But um, it's, there is an entire field that is emerging that's called social robotics, where um, people are finding joy in their products, or they're finding comfort, or they're finding reassurance. Uh, there's a great film that's called Her, Her. Yeah. that kind of takes it yeah. to the upper limit of that. Nagin, yes. robo-romance, what do you make of this? So, uh, yes, it is a fact um, that humans can show affections to robots, but the effect stops short of what's called the uncanny valley, which is a theory that says we can develop affection for something that is a little human, but if it becomes too human-looking, uh, then it creates a feeling of revulsion, which explains why in her, Joaquin Phoenix fell in love with something that looked like an iPod and not something that had boobs. Carla, thank you so much for playing Tell Me Something I Don't Know. Thank you. It's time for a short break now. When we return, you'll hear from more contestants. You'll hear our panelists pick a winner, and we will spin the wheel of perpetual agony. If you'd like to be a contestant on a future show or attend a future show, please visit tmsidk.com on social media. We're at tmsidk underscore show. And please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We will be right back. Welcome back to Tell Me Something I Don't Know. I'm Stephen Dubner. Tonight's theme, you will recall, is passion plays. Please welcome Mandy Naglich. Hello, Mandy. What kind of work do you do? Hey, I'm a digital marketer by day, an occasional writer, and at night is where my passion play comes in. Let's hear about your particular passion play, Mandy. 
So what beverage would you want on hand if you were stranded and somehow needed to survive without food? Ooh. Wait, can the beverage be a food, though? Can it be, like, chocolate milk? Like Ensure? No. Yeah, Ensure. That's such a good idea. Those are no, not but Now, the wait best. a second. Now, wait a second. <laughs> it doesn't depend on, like, if it's freezing cold outside, don't you want something hot? Or it's like a desert. I think it's like it's a survival. That. It's a survival. When no, you say survival, you no. mean like how long you're going to be stranded out there? I mean, it could An keep hour? you alive for a couple weeks, I maybe think a month. Oh, blood. Have, you should drink blood. If you have a <laughs> sewing, <laughs> wait a minute. No, you should not drink blood. You should not drink blood. No, 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 no. Yeah, because has blood all the nutrients. Blood is super salty. You should not drink blood. I mean, what if what if it's like filtered vegan blood? That's fine. That's fine. If you have a sewing needle and a magnet and you put it in a glass of water, you can make a compass and get out of there. Instead but of a, a tax work. economist, you should just like go become my survivalist. I'm my telling you, I've, say, I've seen Naked and you. Afraid. And, and you talked about it being fun, which makes me think it's like, is it like Cabo fun? Like Ooh. we're hanging out. It could be Cabo. Okay. <laughs> really? Everyone's in a bikini. <laughs> if, if the answer to this ends up being like a margarita. There's I'm a pina colada. <laughs> Man, do you want to put us out of our misery? What's the beverage yeah, you have in so mind? So it's actually beer, um, but not the beer what? you'd have at like a tailgate, not your light American lager. It's a specific kind of beer called a Doppelbach. It was actually created to keep fasting monks alive um, way back in the day. What? So during their 40... 40- <laughs> During their 46-day fast for Lent, they're completely denied solid food, but they have to go about their duties of copying scripture, welcoming people to the abbey, and not being, like, miserable and starving. So, um, so this was brewed every year. We to, need a fact check on I know. that. Real fact. Yeah, a I'm bunch of wasted, you're, hungry you're, monks. You're literally saying like, they I would go that. for 48 days 46. With, 46 days with no food and just drinking beer all so day. So it was an extra... It was an extra starchy, um, darker beer with more protein in it. So and it was kind like of the Pope approved this or something. There's actually approved a really this? interesting story about the Pope. They were worried because it did taste pretty good. So they sent him one barrel and it had to go pretty far to get to the Pope and it got pretty gross and moldy. And he was like, oh, if they're living off this, that is a sacrifice of God. <laughs> wow. They Meanwhile, can back at the monastery, it. they're like playing beer pong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In between plays. And surprisingly, yeah. beer like. and under actually shows rehydration qualities. They just did a recent study that um, athletes can totally rehydrate from a beer under 4%. So... This is like totally. I'm telling you. Anybody who's who's (laughs) applying this is like totally You would get scurvy eventually. Probably like a couple months in, yeah. But you could live. Maybe not. So if they squeeze the lime in it, then they would like... Yeah, Yeah, like a nice orange slice. And there are breweries who still brew traditional Lent beers. And I'm a home brewer, so I could nice. make you some Doppelbach and try send this. you on your dangerous mission. Great. You'd stay alive long enough till the search party. Has anyone reenacted this diet of 46 <laughs> I days? Think well, I had a roommate tried. who did. I'm not sure. <laughs> How could you function in the world on that diet? You'd be buzzed <laughs> at least a little bit, right? You would think, right? I don't know. I don't think the monks gave in to the buzz. They were yeah, there they, to copy scripture. They didn't have and... cars. They're fine. <laughs> Nagin, yes. the beer diet that Mandy has brought us today, what can you tell us about? Well, so um, apparently this um, fact is what a highly intelligent alcoholic would say to rationalize their problem. <laughs> um, and, and 
in terms of the rehydration of athletes, you know, after uh, Usain Bolt won the gold medal in 2012, uh, he was asked what he attributed his win to, and he said, Abby Ailes. So no, there you go. Didn't. Did he really? No way, you're making no. that up right Did now. Did everyone you? believe that? I that's yeah. ridiculous. I you got all is ridiculous. No, no, no. Wait, you, the Hussein fact checker is not allowed to make things up. I agree. It is I agree. Note to self, like look into new fact checker for tomorrow. <laughs> Mandy, thank you very much for playing Tell Me Something I Don't Know. Good job. Our next contestant, would you please welcome to the stage, Jason Tavares. Hello, Jason. What's your story? Well, I'm an associate professor of chemical engineering at Polytechnic Montreal. That's the engineering school affiliated with the University of Montreal. My first passion is surface engineering. That's what my research focuses on. But tonight I'm here to talk about my second passion, which is teaching and learning in engineering. All right, Jason, tell us something we don't know. All right. So what's the advantage of giving students the average test score when they're handed back their grade? So if I get a 75 and the average is an 80, you tell me you got 75 and the average is an 80. Yeah, exactly. So both of you teach. uh... Well, I not only teach, I study motivation and academic achievement. So I'm thinking, wait, is this just your opinion or is it like known that this is true? Oh, well, there's a fact checker to check what I'm going to say. Is this based on research you've conducted? It is. It is indeed. All right. So the way you pose the question, Jason, what's the advantage of giving students, right, the average exam score? Okay, tell us. Well, there is no advantage. And in my opinion, it's actually detrimental. So every time I hand students back a test, they'll inevitably ask me, what's the average? And my gut instinct is to answer, why do you care? The averages may seem important in school, but in an engineer's professional career, they're irrelevant. An engineer will be judged based on set performance criteria, not by comparison to the group. Now, If the average could be useful to motivate them, to useful to the students, I might be willing to bend to their will. So with a few like-minded engineering professors, we uh, experimented on the students. So for a full year, (laughs) we withheld averages uh, to find out how they would behave. Students were actually able to predict averages within a fair margin, probably because they're able to form several other reference points. And beyond that, they didn't use the average to plan study time, nor did they significantly associate it with their own success. So basically, they don't need the average, but they really need the average. They wanted to have it. My message to them is always, in a world where everyone's in a rat race to compare and compete, look within. At least there, you're always above average. Wow, this is like incredibly deep. deep. I know, I was going to say. I think you're exactly right. Probably we shouldn't do that. I never thought about that before. We should not give out relative grades. See, it always depends on how you're evaluating the students. If you're doing a normative approach... If you're doing a Z-score, any grading on a curve, yeah, you need the average in order to sort of know where you lie. But if you're designing the exam, and I tend to write fair tests, I set the bar. So if everyone in the class gets an A, then everyone gets an A. I have no problem with that. I teach a fourth-year class, so at that point, I don't want to fail them anymore anyways. Yeah, yeah. No, that I'm like going to, we should, can we like, we should Now, but would you answer if they come in and say, well, how many did I need to get to get a higher grade? Will you tell them that, or you just tell them no? Well, it's pretty straightforward. Up you front, just have to get the problems right. You told them up front. You got to yeah. get the rubrics this. up front. They know what my expectations yeah. are, where the bar is. So jump this high, and if you can jump higher, I'll give you an A plus. 
Mm. Nagin, we'll call Jason's IDK better than average. Yeah. Uh, what do you have for us? Well, one thing that Jason has left out is that people generally engage in a cognitive bias called the illusory superiority theory, uh, whereby people usually overestimate their own skills and their abilities relative to other people, which is why, like, tonight, I think I'm doing a phenomenal job, <laughs> but, like, Stevie Dubs over there could use the some work. Checkers. Thanks, Nagin. You're fired. Thank you very much, Jason. <laughs> Would you please welcome our final contestant of the evening, Alan Hershorn. <laughs> Greetings. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Uh, so uh, I am the executive vice president of a mattress company called Nature's Sleep. And I guess my passion would be sleep or putting people to sleep. <laughs> N- nice. The floor is yours, Alan. Tell us what you want to tell us. Well, conventional wisdom tells us that there's a certain type of person that's going to buy a mattress, and I was wondering if you knew what kind of person that might be. Conventional Wait, wisdom conven- tells... there's. I didn't know there was a conventional mattress-buying wisdom Wait, out doesn't there. everyone well, have to buy that. a mattress? Because then you... No, no, I, dude, you never got... I got a mattress out of the dumpster. You know what I was I, 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 Okay, that's the other kind. Again, White House <laughs> economists, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen... <laughs> Now, wait, did you say you make the mattresses or you sell the mattresses or both of them? I do both. You do both. I'm going to go with the personal answer. I'm like, I feel like moms buy mattresses. Mm. My mom bought my mattress. Really? Yep. And I still have it. I should do something about that. All right. So the question is, what's the conventional wisdom say? Then you're going to tell us what the conventional wisdom is, which we don't know. In fact, we didn't know there was one. And then you're going to tell us in what way it's wrong. That's All right. absolutely true. All so, right, so take it away. So um, for the past 15 years, we've been selling mattresses through conventional brick-and-mortar um, stores. So now we have this mattress uh, division that we sell mattresses direct to consumers online. Um, and all the research in the mattress industry will tell you that um, we market to women, that women are mattress buyers, okay? And we do lots of things in order to entice women to buy mattresses. We change the colors, so we appeal to certain female colors. We change everything to pink and lavender. We even scent our stores so that women walk in, they're more appealing, and they feel like they want to buy in our stores. So when we started this online division, um, we marketed to women. Um, We did all the things that you do to attract women to buy. And about nine months into our sales, we realized that over 72% of our buyers were male. So we said, okay, well, why is this? There's got to be something going on here. So we took a survey of our buyers, and we called them up. And all of our male buyers right across the board said that they were interested in what they slept on. They cared about the kind of matches that they slept on. And they actually, when they went to stores, they felt alienated by the salesperson in the store. So or we, by the fact that you made all pink and purple and perfumey over well, the last 30 years. Yeah. We've learned one very important thing. So not only do men want to please women in bed, but they also want to please women with their bed. So you're saying that your industry thought for years that women, like Keisha's mom, who was yeah. buying mattresses for everyone, apparently. In my mind. In your mind. And that you found when you created a new sales outlet that, in fact, it was... Men. It, it is the guys it is that men. are most interested. And you can go into talk to anybody in the mattress business. They will, even when you talk to customers, the first thing they say, oh, is the guy can sleep anywhere. He sleeps in the shower. And it's really just not true. You also said, interestingly, that men want to please women in bed. Your evidence for that is what? 
Well, yes, we should have contested you know, that yeah. right from the get-go. Yeah, yeah. When, when you've been in the mattress business as long as I have been, the phrase TMI, we, we knew that phrase long before mm. it became popular. What, uh, can you guys talk about uh, your own I mattress? Do, I have one question because yeah. I'll never meet a, a mattress expert. Is mm. there a mattress that you could sleep on that you didn't get like really like too hot at like two in the morning? Yeah. Right? Right? Good one. mattress to me. Oh my right? God. Is that, does that exist? I yeah. wonder if that exists. Well, I will tell you that um, years ago, um, the revolution in mattresses was, was pressure, relieving the pressure from your body when you slept on it. And now the new generation of mattresses are all cool sleep. They're all about temperature. And they work? They, do they work? They suck all the... There are many sleep. technologies that are out today and many technologies that are coming that will literally extract some heat from your body so you sleep cooler. Nagin, where do you stand on the uh, great gender mattress buying debate? Well, it is true that men are doing more of the mattress buying because they're trying to please women. Um, But, uh, and this is also a fact, if that mattress is on the floor, they're definitely still not getting laid. Alan Hershorn and his bed of males theory... I think we've heard enough for tonight. That concludes our round of audience contestants. Let's please give them all a hand. And now it's time for our panelists to rank their favorites, which will be difficult, and pick a winner of our Passion Plays IDKs. Remember, the three voting criteria. Did the contestant tell you something you truly didn't know? Was it worth knowing? And... Just how true was it? So, who will it be? Bed of Males from Alan Hershorn. Better Than Average from Jason Tavares. The Beer Diet from Mandy Naglich. Robo Romance from Carla Diana. Misophonia, The Sound and the Fury from Baron Lerner. Or The Stained Grass Ceiling from Perry Barber. While the votes are being tallied, We'll take a short break. When we come back, we will announce a winner and force the panelists to tell us something we don't know. My name is Stephen Dubner, and this is Tell Me Something I Don't Know. We've heard from some great contestants tonight. If you want to be a contestant on a future show, please visit tmsidk.com. Okay, The panelist votes are in. Once again, thanks to all our contestants. The top three vote-getters joining us back on stage are in third place with her IDK about robo-romance, Carla Diana. In second place, Jason Better Than Average Tavares. And tonight's winner of Tell Me Something I Don't Know, I think this says more about our panelists than anything, the beer diet, Mandy Naglich. Come on up. Congratulations to all of you, and thanks so much for bringing your weird stuff to us tonight. For tonight's winner, Mandy, what could we possibly give you to appropriately reward your passion? Well, you remember at the very top of the show, we heard from that fruit-crazy family, the Kaplans? The mouthfeel of the passion fruit is kind of like a runny egg. That's right. We have here for you a certificate for an entire crate of slimy passion fruit. (laughs) 
By the way, if there's something else you're really dying to know about passion fruit, we are told that passion fruit is what gives Hawaiian punch its distinctive flavor. So I hope what? you enjoy that. It's true. Congratulations, Mandy. Let's please show our appreciation one more time for all our contestants. And now it's time for the final round of Tell Me Something I Don't Know, in which we try to humble and perhaps drive to tears our esteemed panelists. It's time for them to tell us something we don't know, not, however, something they've prepared or even thought about. No, that'd be too easy. They get to tell us something we don't know on a topic chosen completely at random from what we like to call our wheel of perpetual agony. It's covered in a bath towel. (laughs) It is a spinning wheel with 12 (laughs) topics related to tonight's theme, Passion Plays. Nagin, you want to give that a practice spin? That's what it's going to sound like, and here's how the wheel is going to work tonight. First off, to help our panelists out a bit, we're going to team each of you up with one of the top contestant finishers. So we've got Team Goolsby, that is Austin Goolsby, teaming up with Carla Roboromance Diana. We've got Team Duckworth, that's Angela Duckworth, paired with Jason Better Than Average Tavares. And finally, Team Zoller, that's Keisha Zoller, teamed up with Mandy Beer Diet Naglich. We will spin the wheel to pick a topic for each team, and then each team will get about a minute to come up with something we don't know. And our audience here in the theater will pick a winner. On the very slight chance that one of you tries to make something up, remember, we have our real-time human fact-checker, Nagin Farsad, standing by. All right, Nagin, would you please give the wheel a spin to pick a topic first for Team Goolsby? Oh, it went from astronomy to bats? It was bats. You need to tell us something we don't know about bats. Now, uh, Nagin, would you please spin for Team Duckworth? Astronomy. (laughs) Uh, Team Duckworth, you need to tell us something about astronomy. And now would you please spin for Team... Zoller. Come on, bats. Bats, bats. Bananas. Bananas. Oh, boy, this is going to be a good time. We are going to give each of you a minute or two to confer. Panelists and contestants, I want you to put your heads together and prepare to tell us something we don't know. Uh, He has We have outsourced to him. While the panelists and contestants are coming up with their IDKs, let me say this. We would really appreciate it if you tell your friends and family, anyone you know, about this new show of ours. Also, subscribe and maybe give it a rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to come tell me something I don't know, or if you want to be in our studio audience, please visit TMSIDK.com. You can also find us on all the usual social media outlets at TMSIDK underscore show. I know. We don't know much about bats yet. Okay, time's up. We're going to start with Team Goolsby. Austin Goolsby, 
And Carla Diana, I don't know how much you like bats, but you got to tell us something we don't know about them. We know two things about bats. (laughs) One, their poop is toxic and yet craved as a high, high end fertilizer. There are people who will scale. Uh, cave cliffs to scrape the bat guano out of there to use as a fertilizer. And two, bats have a tendon in their leg that they hang from the ceiling. And that tendon, even when they die, remains engaged. And so the bats can become fossilized, still hanging from the ceiling because it's like a clamp that's just stuck on there. Yeah, so how about that for passion? Hanging on for dear life or dear death. Even in death. Unbelievable. So I'm going to call it valuable poop plus clampy tendon. Does that do the job? (laughs) I think that's a fair summary of our knowledge of that. That's right on. Uh, Good to know, Goolsby team. Thank you very much. Let's move on to Team Duckworth, Angela Duckworth, and Jason Tavares. We'd like you to tell us something we don't know about astronomy. This fact is entirely Jason's fact. All right. Only he can explain it. All right. Now, we can't actually see planets outside of our solar system, Mars, Venus, Pluto, whatever. Not really Pluto. Uh, But all we can see outside of our solar system are stars. So how do we know if there's planets there? Well, the way they've figured out and they've detected planets and we've heard about in the media recently is that they see a flicker of light, basically a recurring flicker, a shade of the planet that goes by. And by studying the light that diffracts around that shade, they can get an idea if there's atmosphere or not, if there's water maybe. Uh, and they get an idea of the distance of the planet from the star. So it gives us viable candidates. Planet detection via light flickering. Yes. That's well, what you're telling but... us. Okay. All right. Good to know. Keisha Zoller and Mandy Beardiet Naglich were just given a, a prize in having the topic of bananas. Uh, I'm going to present uh, two ideas, one of which is that most of us eat bananas upside down. We should actually turn it over, and it uh, peels much easier. The second of which is an old wives' tale um, uh, that if you want to reduce the swelling on a bug bite, you take the banana peel and put it on there, uh, and it will help reduce the swelling. One of the criteria is how useful it is. So now you know how to open the banana correctly and then heal you know, your bug bite. Yeah, so. you know what to do with it, right? That's like, like a double whammy. That right was there. good teamwork there. You kinda you kinda gave it and then you sold it. Yeah. Because we yeah. didn't we weren't buying it. So. I'm not, I'm not yeah. a closer, okay? I, I have tried to open a banana from the bottom. I don't think it's I don't think no, it has I was a gonna handle. say the same thing. My ten year old came back and that's how the monkeys eat the banana. And so he told us that, oh I'm gonna use it to handle it. and he just would get banana everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> So, it's, it's like all mushes. I don't know. Yeah, like mushes, you're popping yeah. Well, we'll leave this to the fact checker, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nagin Farsad, you've been handed a whole pile of real-time human fact-checking. Yes. Okay, I mean, normally I have more time to do this um, because Austin Goolsby keeps telling stories about Poland. But... Um, <laughs> Okay, so so I think about the bat poop. Um, I think what you're referring to is something called guano. So what you're saying is not totally correct because guano is a collection of poop and urine that comes from seabirds, bats, and seals. So bats N- are just not at one. the same time. I well, just like I to mean, clarify. I, I, <laughs> there, there's bat guano. There's seabird guano. There's uh, no. I mean, the, the name is and then you mix the guano together yeah. to make the fertilizer. You're saying how do, how do you know this? 
from the garden store, there's all these bags of fertilizer. I get the worm oh, so castings. The, the, That's the cheapest one. But they got like bat guano and different guanos. I'm telling you. What about the what about the tendon though? The tendon claim. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and say sure. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm guessing then you had plenty of time to determine if indeed we detect planets by flickers of their light. Yes? There was a, there was a headline on a Google page that said something about like as, like astronomers astronomers. Um, that's how you pronounce it. Um, they detected a planet through a flicker. Like that that was a headline. So I'm going to give that one a let, hard. Let me ask you this, Jason. Yes. Just so we feel a little bit more comfortable in the voting, tell us how you know this. You are an engineer. We host seminars every week, and we had an astronomer about last year that came and talked about it uh, for our students. So I picked it up there. That's either very impressive or a fantastic lie. So well done. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I tend to believe you. You're Canadian. And um, sorry. All right. <laughs> Nagin, um, Keisha and Mandy are telling us that eating bananas upside down is indeed the optimal way and that banana peels are a great treatment for bug bite. Right. So on the bug bite issue, I um, I checked this very shady website called Just Naturally Healthy and... <laughs> Um, apparently it does reduce the swelling of a bug bite, uh, on the, uh, on the other assertion that eating it upside down is how you're supposed to do it. I'm going to say that sounds dumb. So (laughs) don't do it that way. You, you don't know. All right. It is time for our live audience to pick a winner out of these three incredibly noble efforts tonight. So get out your phones and you are going to follow the texting instructions on the screen. Keep in mind now the criteria for all our IDKs. Did they tell you something you didn't know? Was it worth knowing? And was it true or at least true-ish? Who will it be tonight? Team Goolsby, Team Duckworth, or Team Zoller? The live voting has now closed, and I've been handed the results. This is a most unusual outcome. This, this is going to make, I hate to say it, the third-place team feel even worse. Oh, no. Yeah, I, and I do hate to say that. Um, so in third place, with 27-plus percentage of the vote, is Team Goolsby. And let me just say, we loved, we loved right. your bat stuff. 27%. We loved it. 27% right. is respectable. I'm not comparing to the mean. I mean, that was... Yeah, really right, awesome. exactly. <laughs> and now here's where it gets really fun. In a dead tie for first place, Team Duckworth and Team Zoller. Congratulations. Yeah. That's our show tonight. Thanks so much to our panelists, Austin Goolsby, Angela Duckworth, and Keisha Zoller. Thanks to all our contestants and especially to all of you for coming to play. And what do we have next week? Joining us on the panel are the comedian Hannibal Burris, professional poker player Annie Duke, and Jesuit priest Father James Martin. The theme, Fool Me Once. So wait, you faked your own death for research? As an experiment, indeed. I want to see how far I could get in the process. 
And got the death certificate. But how do you do that? <laughs> There's lots of different ways. It's deathcertificates.com. <laughs> <laughs> it's next time on Tell Me Something I Don't Know. Tell Me Something I Don't Know is produced by Dubner Productions in partnership with The New York Times. Our staff includes Allison Hockenberry, Emma Morgenstern, Harry Huggins, and Brian Gutierrez. David Herman is our technical director. He also composed the theme music. Thanks also to Dan DeZula, Jolenta Greenberg, and Dan Schreiber, our transatlantic game doctor. Thanks also to the New York Times, especially Charles Duhigg, Kinsey Wilson, Samantha Hennig, Diantha Parker, and Lisa Tobin. And to our good friends at Qualtrics, whose online survey software has been so helpful in putting on this show. You can and should subscribe to Tell Me Something I Don't Know on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or at nytimes.com slash IDK. You can find us online at tmsidk.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.